This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, I'm Lahari Neil Peretti, founder of LN Accounting Advisor, and this is Then What? With another story of a big then what business moment which transformed into real success made possible by real leadership. We haven't even really scratched the surface of of the potential. When the pandemic hit, there were 50 million students K through 12 that had to go from in-class learning to distance learning. We've done well these first couple of years. We've gained a lot of traction. We've proven market fit. We're launching our second generation product, the Tenoshi Scholar, next month. But, you know, we still have a long ways to go. Lisa Love's extensive background in the CPG space, including a stint at Amazon, where she launched Amazon Marketplace for startups, was only the start. It was really the blend of influence from her mother's work in education and her father's work in technology that created the recipe that led to a passion for startups and tech, propelling Lisa to pursue making a significant impact on the future of the tech industry by creating a product and brand that's bridging a critical gap. She and her team are bringing technology into the hands of youth who may not have the same access or exposure. Through her own tireless drive and riding the traction gained on Shark Tank and Amazon, Lisa is leading Tanashi to meet a major need for youth in what is now a pandemic-impacted education system. It's a true labor of love. Well, thank you, Lisa, for being on today. I know it's been a crazy busy day for you, but I appreciate you taking the time out to get on here and speak to me. Sure. Thanks for inviting me. Of course, of course. I'm intrigued by your story. So you went to school for hospitality, right? And then had a career kind of in marketing. But I think for about the last 15 years, you've been focused in educating children, right? In that kind of industry. Why the seemingly change of mission and direction? Like what made you want to go there and do what you're doing now and what you've been doing for the last 10, 15 years? So great question. I... I grew up with an educator. So my mom taught in the Los Angeles Unified School District for 50 years. So yeah, so I grew up with, you know, a teacher and, you know, the importance of of education. And then my dad was the engineer. He was actually um, one of the first black students. He graduated from Purdue, their engineering school. And he was like, he graduated in the, in the 1950s. So imagine that, wow. but, um, but yeah, so he was one of the, the first black engineers to graduate from Purdue. And so with that, just, you know, growing up with a teacher and an engineer, you know, it just kind of all made sense and fell into place, like being in education technology. I guess you can say I merged the two. <laughs> yeah, together, which is, which is amazing. That's a, so your dad basically made history as well, huh? <laughs> That's really cool. What kind of prompted you to start your company and kind of prompted you to go on your own and develop your company? Yeah. So 
my mom, she was always very creative and I was working a lot with her sort of behind the scenes. We developed a children's education book and building self-esteem materials for kids, especially kids in the primary grades. And she was also like, was, I guess in the early 2000s, um, she started developing apps. Um, one of the things that was really, really successful for her when she was teaching was she developed a typing program for her kindergartners. So when she was teaching kindergartners, she taught them how to type and that actually helped them with reading and words. And so she's very creative too. So a lot of the materials that she developed, it had like a beat to it, a rhyme to it, you know, um, she taught in South Central. That's cool. Oh yeah. And so, and so she, uh, she, she had to be a little bit creative with how she taught her kids. A lot of them were behind. And so, but she was always determined to bring them up to speed. So she was very creative and used, again, a lot of music and rhymes to help kids learn. And so, um, she developed a typing program, which again, helped her kindergartners learn, not only learn how to type, but also how to read. And so fast forward to a couple of years ago, I met Brad Johnston, who is the, he started the company. He started Sonoshi. And so he was pitching in Oakland at the Cape War Center. Um, so he was pitching the, the computer there. And I saw the pitch and I was like, you know what, that would be perfect for my mom's typing program. Because I, again, I was kind of working with her in the background helping her develop this typing program, but making it into an app. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw his, his pitch, I was like, oh my God, that'd be perfect for the typing program. And so I went up to him, talked to him, told him what we were doing. And kind of one thing led to another, we hit it off and started working with him on this whole project. And so that's kind of how it started. Since this time you started working with him and now I'm pretty sure there's a lot of changes to, to know she and the product, but what do you feel like is like what drew you so much to like having this be like your baby kind of in a way too, right? Like right. what you're doing, this is what you're doing now. Right. So like right. what kind of drove you to, to do that? Right, right, right. So the thing that really, really, I guess, captured my attention was the fact that, you know, it was a computer and it was affordable. So a lot of times kids from underserved, under-resourced communities they don't have all of the, the bells and whistles and the resources that the more affluent kids have. And so they fall behind and they just, they don't have that fair chance to succeed in life. And so the fact that the computer was under $200, I was like, you know what, that's so cool. And again, just growing up with my mom who taught in South Central, you know, she faced a lot of challenges with the whole education system. I mean, she used her own money developed her own resources, spent her own time, you know, because she taught in an area where they just didn't have the money to pay for a lot of the stuff that she really needed. And so just growing up with that and then seeing what he was doing, it really resonated with me because I was like, you know what, it's, it's true. I mean, it's just not fair that because, you know, a child doesn't have the resources that they have to always be behind and, and can't, have the things yeah. that other kids have. Like they don't get the fair chance, right? Like, you know, right. exactly. for that education. So a perfect example of that is that we do kids coding workshops in the Bay area. So we'll go to the yeah. like Silicon Valley 
you know, the, the parents there, there a lot of them are engineers. And so when we go there, we do a workshop, you know, these are fifth graders and we'll ask in the beginning of the class, you know, who all has coded. And, you know, almost all of them will have raised their hand. They've had some sort of introduction to coding. Wow. And there, some of them are like, oh yeah, we, I've done Java and all this, all these different languages. I'm like, oh my God. Oh, wow. And then, and then grader, we go, wow. then we go to East Oakland, which is a lower income area in the Bay area. And those kids, they barely have a computer at home. And so, but when we mm -hmm. teach them the coding, like when we start, you know, the workshop and they get into the project, they love it. They get so excited and they're so happy and they want more, right? It's giving them that exposure. That's what we're trying to mm -hmm. do. At least give them that exposure and then hopefully they'll be able to um, continue. But it's just, again, it's that digital divide. No, I 100% I agree. And I think that's what's amazing about what you guys are doing is it's like kind of like giving the fair chance to kids to be able to do anything, right? Like they can do anything, but you need to give them the chance and like the resources like you guys are doing. Was this always the mission for Tenoshi? Like before you came on, was this always where this company was going to go and you joined or was it something different and kind of changed or you adapted this as you guys were building it? It was pretty much always the mission. I mean, it, I guess it pivoted maybe a little bit in the fact that when Brad first started, he was going to mainly target girls to help them get exposure because, you know, there's also that whole gender gap within the computer science space. Yeah. So he, and uh, I'm laughing because it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, it's yeah. so interesting. When I was like in school, it was like, there's no females in the engineering building in college. Never, ever. So like, it's right. like one female out of all these guys. And so no, it's right. hundred percent true. So that was what he was sort of, going after in the beginning. And that's why actually he specifically wanted a pink computer. So we have a pink and a blue computer, but then it sort of evolved into, Hey, you know, it's not just women. It's a lot of black and Brown kids that don't have the resources too. So kind of branched out. Yeah, no, for sure. From your background and kind of from where you're sitting as well, like, do you feel like being a woman of color has given you more opportunity or provided you with a point of challenge? Yeah, you know, great question. It is definitely challenging being a woman of color. You know, you don't see a lot of us, especially in this space. And then on the other side, you don't see a lot of us in the VC world. So less than 1% of Black women receive VC funding, which I just, I always say that's just shameful. So yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of challenges, you know, when the whole George Floyd incident arose, that definitely sparked a lot of attention throughout, of course, the country and the world. Right. So, you know, everyone was companies and VCs, they were all sort of jumping on, I want to say the bandwagon and becoming more aware of the situation, the racial inequities. So ever since then, you know, there's been a lot of push to get Black women founders funded. And there's been, you know, a lot of companies, big companies, tech companies have been doing grants and stuff like that, which is great. And then you also see the, you know, being promoted within tech companies too. 
So that's, that's good. So, I mean, we'll see where this all leads because it's been, you know, this has been, been going on for forever, right? The whole racial inequities. Mm-hmm. So we'll see, but there are, there's definitely challenges, but you just keep pushing. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's impressive. And I think you're an inspiration to a lot of people as well. And so there's also like no other way to say this, but your team is impressive from your background of your team and your advisors that I see, they seem very experienced and very knowledgeable in their fields. And how did you recruit this kind of super team? And how do you navigate the dynamic with working with like accomplished people who probably have their own opinions and strengths and everything? (laughs) Yeah, I have to say, I love our team. I've worked with a lot of startups and the team is, is crucial, right? Especially when you're starting mm-hmm. a company because you're you're faced with just a lot of challenges and so you sort of lean on that team to help help you mm-hmm. and help push through things. So yes, like you said, we have a very seasoned team. And the the beauty of our team too is the fact that Brad, the original founder, he came from a family of educators. His mom was an educator, his sisters an educator, his grandmother was an educator. And then our other executives they all have educators within their family. So it's kind of like we kind of all bonded and we understood the challenges. And so I think that helped too. You asked, you know, how did we kind of find each other? It's, it's networking, right? You have to get out there and network. That was a main thing too. And the fact that I went to that pitch contest just to kind of network and see what was out there. That's how I met Brad. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And so you had your team, right? You would have you and Brad and your mission, which is a very strong mission. Then what happened? How did this become the company it is? <laughs> so, you know, there's definitely a long development phase. I joined a company in 2017. Mm-hmm. Brad had been working on developing the product since like, at least like 2015. Mm-hmm. And so we launched our first product in 2018. Once we launched, I don't want to say it took off, but we launched on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And so again, because of our price point, I think a lot of parents sort of gravitated to our product. That was definitely a competitive advantage. Also, the fact that we have parental controls built in that are free, that also really helped sort of, I guess, it resonated with a lot of the parents. So in 2018, we launched on Amazon, gained a lot of traction there. And then I guess the following year was when we heard from Shark Tank. And that, of course, was a whole, took it to another level. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us about that experience. How did that change your business being on Shark Tank? Yeah. So it was a long process. So it took about a year by the time they actually contacted us and from that time until we actually aired, it was about a year. So, you know, it's a long process. And then when we did air, it was right smack dab in the middle of the pandemic. pandemic. Yeah. So <laughs> we were out of product because of the pandemic. So we aired in May of 2020. The pandemic, of course, happened. It hit in March of 2020. So like by the end of March, because everything was just a frenzy, right? Parents Mm -hmm. didn't know what was going on. Teachers didn't know what was going on. 
you know, everyone wanted a, a computer for their child because of the whole distance learning. And so we, we sold out by the end of March. And then because of the whole supply chain, everything was delayed, like us getting our computers. So then we find out we're going to air on Shark Tank in May. And we're like, oh, shoot, <laughs> we don't have any product. So we set up pre-orders, though. So that helped. But yeah, I mean, Shark Tank definitely got us out there, to say the least. So that was definitely a great thing. And then, you know, we aired in May and then they aired us again in July, which, again, we're still in the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> so but by then we had we had product. So that was a good thing. Yeah. And this is kind of interesting for the education kind of field, right, of like, this pandemic meant virtual learning, and it still means virtual learning, like at school, kids are still being virtually taught. How did that obviously, like you said, computers, people are buying more parents are probably buying more, but how did this play into you think, Tanashi and its business and its trajectory? Yeah. So, I mean, from the get-go, you know, our company was started because we thought everyone needed a computer, mm -hmm. right? And so the pandemic just exposed the fact that, you know, there is a need, need. for not just affluent kids. All kids need a computer. It just opened everyone's eyes. It exposed the need, the real need for everyone to have a computer. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of how it affected us. I mean, we just, we keep selling out and it's not just us, but it's the whole industry in general. There's more demand than supply, supply. right now mm -hmm. of, of computers. The sad thing about it, I, I don't know if I've seen it really in our space, in the computer space and electronic space, but I see it <laughs> in the workout equipment, mm -hmm. you know, because everyone's wanting weights or whatever to work out because everyone has to work out at home. Uh, the, the price gouging is just ridiculous, right? Folks are marking up their product like 200, 300% just because they can, because they know people, people buy it. want yeah. it and yeah. need it. Yeah. No. Right. It's... Right. But we didn't, we did not do that. We didn't price gouge just because we knew that parents, you know, need it for their Kids, child. Yeah. That's an interesting thing that you bring up is like pricing, right? Because what you're saying and for computers and for kids is like everyone needs it, right? And that's accurate. Like every kid, regardless of race, color, where they grew up, grew up, how they grew up, they need a computer. And this helps with their learning. I know you're kind of mentioned like pricing at a lower point was something that's attractive. So anybody can buy it they have the ability to purchase it. Has that kind of financially and from a business perspective, how have you guys, have y'all changed the price since you first started the product or like started selling it? Has anything changed relating to that? No, we haven't. We've always been at an MSRP of 199. Mm -hmm. You might see us go down like $10 or so on the price, but it's been pretty consistent. The one thing though is, you know, now that the holidays are coming, Black Friday and Cyber Monday, mm -hmm. typically we would like, and you, you would see this industry-wide that folks would like heavily, heavily discount, mm -hmm. especially on Black Friday and, and Cyber Monday, which we probably won't, we will give some sort of discount, but it's not going to be like 50% off. 
Yeah. So that's probably the major change, you know, coming into the holiday season uh, in regards to pricing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I want to mention too, it's pricing, but it's also preloaded content. So we preload kids coding apps onto our device. So again, kids can get the exposure to coding. And then we're going to be launching our Tenochi Scholar next month, which will have more preloaded content. It'll actually have my mom's multiplication app oh, that's uh, so cool. preloaded on there. So <laughs> that is so, so yeah. cool. Do you feel like your mom has really inspired you to kind of start and do what you're kind of doing now? A big part of who you are now, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's tell, funny yeah. because I never thought I was going to be a teacher. Oh, like, yeah, that yeah. was not in my yeah. career path. Yep. No, I like to, being a teacher is the hardest <laughs> but, thing I feel. <laughs> yeah, you got to have the patience. It's one of it's one of the hardest jobs I feel like out there right now. So. Oh yeah, definitely, especially now, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was never in my career path being a teacher. But I've always been like on the business side of things. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to school, got my business degree. I've always loved and the marketing kind of thing. And like I said, I guess it just, the fact that my dad was an engineer and my mom was an educator, we just, it just kind of fell into place. Yeah. No, that's amazing. I'm excited for that. Your mom's app is going to be on there. So that's really cool. (laughs) We'd love to hear from you. Follow us on social media at Ellen Accounting and visit us or contact me directly at ellenaccountingcpa.com and subscribe to Then What Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find the best podcasts. Are you looking for financial advice or an outsourced CFO or maybe just help with your books or financials? Well, let's talk. As a listener of the podcast, I want to offer you a free consultation call with me. Go on our website at ellenaccountingcpa.com and book a call with me today. Again, that's ellenaccountingcpa.com. When you reach out, please make sure to mention this podcast. I look forward to hearing from you. You're named one of like the 100 powerful women of 2020 and top 100 women entrepreneurs of 2020 as well, which is really, really impressive and amazing. Thank you. How did this propel your company? That actually just happened. So again, you know, it's the exposure. You know, I'm getting (laughs) a lot of emails and calls and stuff like that. But you know, it's it's mainly going to be the exposure. Yeah, it's amazing. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, of course. In your business, do you feel like there's a strategic partner or strategic advisors that you feel like played into the success of your company? We have our core team that, you know, we have about, I guess there's five of us that work full time. Yeah. And then we have our advisors who are also very, very seasoned. They are instrumental, I have to say with just coaching us because of course, you know, we don't know everything and there's, there's a lot right. Uh, with starting a business. Mm -hmm. So our advisors, we've got a financial advisor, we've got a software advisor and they're both women. And then we have sort of a retail advisor to help us get into like Walmart and stuff like that. So 
they help us like constantly just giving us advice and coaching us through different challenges and situations that we face. Have you guys had capital or in the business as well or investors? Have you, do you guys deal with that as well? So we are raising, we are raising a $2 million seed round Amazing. right now. Yeah. We have not had VC funding. Brad put his own money into the company initially, like $150,000. And then we've been able to receive, well, we received a loan from the, an SBA loan from the bank, family and friends have given us money or loaned us money, I should say, and angel investors, but nothing like major like VC funding. Mm -hmm. That is what we're going after right now. How has that been? How's that journey been right now? Hard, hard, challenging. <laughs> yeah, Very yeah, hard, very hard. So like I said, only 1% of black women uh, have received VC funding. So that's, you know, dismal. Yeah. And then the fact that we are hardware, although we are hardware, but we're also software. Mm -hmm. And a lot of VCs, they look at, of course, the margins, the profit margins. And in hardware with electronics, the margins are not as, it's not as lucrative. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of a, a negative on us. But we are being sort of creative and looking at other sources, not just VC. So that's kind of our, I guess, thing right now is that, you know, there's other ways to get money other than just VCs. So we're being creative and we're getting a lot more uh, interest from other companies like suppliers, mm -hmm. um, like our suppliers. And stuff like that. So, and foundations, because we are an impact driven company. Mm -hmm. So like foundations and family organizations and stuff like that. Yeah, no, for sure. What's your pitch to potential investors and what's the dream you can paint and why you guys can be successful? Basically our traction is one. The fact that we've sold out six times within the last couple of years you That's know, amazing. we've had, we have tremendous traction and even just our business model. I mean, yeah, we are hardware right now, but eventually the business model is to move into software mm -hmm. where we have a monthly reoccurring revenue. So that's always a good plus on our side, knowing that, you know, we're getting revenue coming in every month from like subscriptions yeah. And then also working with partners where we're also generating revenue that way too, through preloading apps, preloading their apps on our device. Mm -hmm. So those are a couple of advantages to when you're looking at our business model and, you know, just things that VCs find attractive. And also, of course, our, our team, our seasoned team, the fact that we're not green in the sense that, you know, we're not fresh out of college. You know, we've been around the block. Brad, he worked actually for Toshiba and Vizio oh, wow. and product management and analysis. One of the things I love about Brad is his sort of analytics and research. Like every morning he goes and does research and he emails the team like, the latest numbers in like the industry and <laughs> yeah. what's trending. And, I like it. You know, he emails us articles about that stuff every morning. I'm like, Oh my gosh. So he keeps us informed. Yeah. 
No, that's amazing. Because we can get into, you know, because I do, I do the marketing. So, you know, we can all get into our own little silo or groove of, of, you know, what we know and what we do. And then you see this email about from Brad about like research and, and trends and stuff. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's good to know. <laughs> You're like, that's good. <laughs> yeah, no. And you should also add like your mission too, right? Like it's a good, the, an amazing pitch. I feel like is like the, y'all's mission is very strong and it's needed. There's that demand out there for sure. You did mention like you have an advisor, right? That helps you navigate the retailer space, which is kind of interesting right now, given the whole pandemic situation and things of that sort. Are you guys currently working right now to get in Walmart? Or are you guys already in Walmart? So we are on um, Amazon, walmart.com. Walmart.com, yep. And we sell through our own site. So that is, you know, our next step is to get into at least regional um, brick and mortar stores. Hopefully sometime next year, we'll do some sort of testing at Walmart stores. So yeah, I mean, that's definitely in the trajectory is to get into the brick and mortars. That's great. Take me back to the moment where you feel like you had your, I made it. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's still, it's still, you know, continuing, right? I mean, we haven't even really scratched the surface of, of the potential. So just to give you some numbers, when the pandemic hit, there were 50 million students K through 12 that had to go from in-class learning to distance learning. Mm-hmm. And that was in the U.S. And then there's 16 million students that didn't have computer or internet or internet access, Right. And that's like 800 million students worldwide. So right now we're mainly focused in the U.S., but eventually we do want to branch out to other countries. So, I mean, yeah, we've we've done well these first couple of years. We've gained a lot of traction. We've proven market fit. We're launching our second generation product, the Tenoshi Scholar, next month, which we're really, really excited about. But, you know, we still have a long ways to go. I mean, I don't know if I would say we've made it <laughs> yet <laughs> just because, just because, like I said, I mean, there's so much that needs to be done still, Yeah. but you know, we're, we're getting there. Yeah. So, but thank you for saying that. No, I feel like you guys made it in my <laughs> opinion, <laughs> you know, um, like even helping one kid, right. Is like, you made it somewhere. Right. So how has the change in learning for kids with school being closed due to the pandemic impacted your demand or approach to your software even for even the scholar software? Right. So with the software, again, so it's making sure that we, I wouldn't say have like a curriculum. I mean, it's all a process, but just making sure that we have age appropriate content that's Mm -hmm. being preloaded. One of the, the great things, you know, with launching the Tenoshi 2-in-1, our first product, since we have such a small team, we're able to really listen to what our customers are saying. You know, right? we're right there with them, mm-hmm. you know, answering the emails. It's not like we're hiring, you know, customer service team from a third-party customer service team from out of the country where we're not in touch with our customer. Yeah. So we hear what they want. We hear what they need. We hear their frustrations. 
And so being in the market with a Tenoshi two in one for two years, you know, we were able to kind of take all of our learnings and then apply that to our next product, the Tenoshi scholar. Mm -hmm. Right. And so one of the things like you mentioned is the software or the content, right. Preloaded. And so just making sure that we're meeting the needs of our customers as far as educational content that's preloaded on the device. And that was one thing my mom had made that multiplication app. And so we're like, oh, that would be great because we hear a lot about, you know, educational content, math. Those are things that parents want. Typing app. Actually, my mom's typing app is going to be on, on the computer as well. So, so Yeah. It's amazing because I don't have any kids, but like my cousins that have kids, I just see their virtual learning and it's, it's very interesting and very different from like how it used to be. Right. And it's like, it's hard to get their iPads or whatever to, and have it be interactive. Like it's not the right, like computer or right kind of tool for them. I was just interested on how this whole pandemic might've shifted the whole software that, you know, you're preloading in. Right, right, right. So there's the sort of educational aspect of it, right? Making sure that we have the educational content preloaded. But then there's also the parental controls. I mean, because of the pandemic, kids are on the computer a lot more than they were before, right? They have to be. So with our parental controls, parents can manage and they can see how much time they're spending on like certain apps. And like, if they venture to like the Google play store mm-hmm. where there's like 3 million apps that they can potentially download, the parents can set it up where the child has to ask the parent if they can download like a particular app and that request will come on the parent's phone. So the parent will see on their phone, Oh, you know, Joey, little Joey wants to d- download this app do you approve or deny? And they can like approve or deny all on their phone. I love it. And they can shut the computer down (laughs) on, on their phone too. So like if they know that it's 10 o'clock at night and little Joey should be asleep, but he's on the computer, they can just shut it off all on their phone. That's amazing. (laughs) During the pandemic, like right in the middle of it, it was like April or May, me and my cousin used to like put my iPad like way above so my niece couldn't reach it (laughs) because we were like, oh, we don't want her just grabbing it and taking it and just like doing playing all these games or whatever. So it's kind of interesting. That's actually a very good feature that is well needed. (laughs) So that's great. The parents love that. You know, that's one of the features that the parents really, really find beneficial No, for sure. Do you have any partnerships right now with nonprofit educators for underserved students or any other partnerships? So, yeah. So we don't have any partnerships per se as of yet. We did do a program with Girls Inc. here in the Bay Area where we donated, uh, it was about 50 of our computers when the pandemic started. And of course, they target girls in underserved communities. And then also we are working with, currently working with iFoster and I don't know if you know, but, but the foster, foster kids, the foster community, those are actually the most underserved kids. I mean, they really need computers. And so we're working with an organization called iFoster and trying to get more computers to the foster community. That's great. 
What was the most difficult moment you experienced in your journey of the company? Woo, the most difficult. You know, I would have to say just, you know, the whole whole raising, you know, trying to raise raise money. I mean, it's been a continuous definitely a continuous process. You know, it gets to be frustrating for any of the entrepreneurs out there. I would highly recommend, you know, if you want to go into business and you're going to need like VC funding, I would recommend start networking like now and building your, your network because it's, it's difficult out there. Uh, Yeah. I would have to say that that's the most challenging. And then also, you know, you kind of touched on this earlier, but we definitely have our core team, which is great, but we're, we're expanding. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking to increase our headcount and getting that right person, you know, because when you say you're a startup, a lot of people, you know, they get excited. Oh, I'm working for a startup, you know, <laughs> but you know, it's more than yeah. It's, it's more than that. You know, it's, a, it's about our mission. So we just want to make sure that we are Fine. bringing in people that are passionate about our mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which makes sense. So when you get the check in hand and you get your funding, then what? Then what, what's next? Good question. Good question. So definitely resources. So hiring more people, that's one. Another thing would be, of course, developing more product. Right now, we're actively looking for an engineer, a software engineer, and that's to help us with developing our own content. So, you know, our subscription services. Um, So, uh, yeah, developing our own educational content that we can preload on our device. Um, So we're actively looking for a software engineer. So it would be labor and then product. Those are probably the two main areas where we would use our funding and just making sure that we are always in stock of our product. (laughs) Yeah. That's always important. Supply chain hardest, but the most, one of the most important ones. Right. So, well, thank you so much, Lisa, for being on here. And like I said, your mission is amazing and I cannot wait to see what is in store for you guys, even in the future. And if you can tell us how we can connect with you, how the listeners can follow you and how they're able to find the company, that would be amazing. Yeah. So definitely our website is tanoshikidscomputers.com. So it's T-A-N-O-S-H-I kidscomputers.com. You can always reach us there. You can check us out there, see our new products or our new scholar And then also we're on, of course, Twitter at Tenoshi Kids and then on Facebook as well. Tenoshi Kids Computers there. So basically your your main social media channels. And if you just do a a search for Tenoshi Kids, you should find us. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm actually about to go and buy buy one for my niece right now. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Lisa's mission at Tanashi is simple. Provide a brighter future for all kids. The company was founded to help level the playing field and give every child a more equal opportunity for future success. And Lisa's labor of love has made use 
of the best parts of her own great start with influences in education and technology. You could say that the mission of education is largely about taking what you've learned and passing it on to others to make their lives more successful. And by enabling more girls and other underrepresented children the opportunity to access a fun, age-appropriate, educational, and affordable device to learn computer skills and help complete school assignments, well, mission accomplished. The more of a mission you see achieved, the more of it you want to take on. This important mission has Lisa Love and her remarkable Tanashi team always measuring their great work and next saying, then what? Then What is produced by Ellen Accounting Advisor in partnership with Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. The views and opinions expressed are those of the individuals on this podcast and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of LN Accounting Advisor or Mouth Media Network. No portion of this program should be considered financial advice or consultation. Thank you for listening.